If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Luke chapter 6, verses 32 and 33. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Stephanie Reedmeyer. And this is Off Script, the podcast where every week we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about anything that ended up on the cutting room floor, and explore the theology that we were discussing on Sunday. And we have a special guest co-host, as you heard, Stephanie Reedmeyer, who also preached yesterday what, what? on our text. How'd it go in your place? It was fun. Good Sunday. Good. I like this passage. I mean, it's hard. It's a hard passage, yeah, for but sure. But it's fun. Yeah. And you talked about a teacher also. I did. Okay. We had different... Uh, experiences. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to set the stage, we're talking about, so we're, uh, it's the fourth Sunday in Lent. Yep. Not the fourth Sunday of Lent because Lent does not include Sundays. Chris is very particular very about this. Very specific about this. Liturgically speaking, it's very important, the in versus the of. And we are uh, doing the sermon series, An Extraordinary Life, Lent Journey with Jesus. And we're talking about kind of an overview of his ministry and the different aspects of his ministry. And this, pat- and this Sunday, we talked about uh, his teaching ministry. So the Sermon on the Mount is the most famous teaching of Jesus ever. Right. And this is Luke's version of that. But in Luke, the stuff that's more famous in Luke is the prodigal, the Samaritan. So I would actually argue that the Sermon on the Plain does not get a lot of airtime because if you're going to preach on this particular type of text, you're, you're going to preach on Matthew's version of it, right? Wouldn't yeah. you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My husband, Jake, was like, did y'all like make up that name, Sermon on the Plain? <laughs> I was like... No, right, because nobody's that's literally what I mean, it's called. Right, but nobody's heard of it, right? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of fascinating, and he's um, it's a very different version of that text. I mean, I think most people know at least the outlines of the Sermon on the Mount. Certainly, everybody knows the Beatitudes, for sure, the opening nine blessings. But in Matthew, it's a it's a three chapter uh, teaching, and it's four times as long as what Luke offers us. So uh, there's a lot to get into here. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate how concise it is in Luke, though. There's something to be said for that. It's like, uh, yeah. I was going to go with the metaphor of something ended up on the cutting room floor. Do you make iced coffee at home? Uh, I try, but it's never good. <laughs> so I've I've gotten my, my system down. Yeah. And the idea is you have concentrated coffee that then you add water to. I think typically I drink that straight from the bottle. Bingo. <laughs> That's exactly what I do. <laughs> so I just take the concentrated stuff straight. <laughs> it's not it's a problem. <laughs> It's not intended to be drink, to be consumed that way. The ice like uh, waters it down eventually. It a does a little bit. bit. Plus, if you put a little creamer in there, you know we have a problem. But this is sermon on the plane is the iced coffee concentrate of Jesus' teaching. But I thought, you know, if you're not a coffee drinker, that's gonna no. And you would have had to explain like you're not <laughs> supposed to do it this way. Right. Yes, and then how to explain my coffee drinking problem? Yeah. Although a lot of people in our congregation get that <laughs> coffee's important. <laughs> We have good coffee in the coffee room for a reason. Yeah, we do. The people need it. Yes, it's a local vendor too, and we don't use styrofoam. A lot of, uh, there's a lot going on. Yeah, check out the coffee <laughs> room. We, hey, we could do a whole coffee podcast. <laughs> New idea. All right, so tell me what your Lenten discipline is. Do you? Do yeah, it? yeah. I typically try to add something. Uh-huh. This okay. year, I've been reading the Psalms. Okay. Throughout. Okay. What about you? Yeah, so I do several things. Probably won't surprise you. I 
try to avoid sweets and sweets as much as possible. <laughs> so when I just ate that Milky Way in front of you, your mouth was like watering. Nah, it was fine. It was okay. fine. Because again, Sundays don't count. So uh, <laughs> Max also gives up sweets during Lent, but we make full use of the Sunday exemption. We had, hand- we had handles that. last night. <laughs> Handles is the best. Yes. Cake batter? Uh, I got the uh, – we both got the chocoholic chunk. Big mistake. If you don't get cake batter, don't <laughs> I will even try go. the cake batter though because that sounds so good. good. Handles okay. is fantastic. We have problems here. <laughs> Coffee, sugar. <laughs> so, all right. So, with no sweets. Um, also, I'm reading – I read a book that I wouldn't, or, you know, like make time for otherwise. And right, so, right. Uh, last year it was The Cross and the Lynching Tree. This year it's Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman, which is great. I'm, I'm on track to finish that. And then uh, I've also decided this year to read a, one of the penitential psalms once a, every day. Yeah, yeah. And I'm reading Psalm 51. And it it's really it's good. It's you wrote good. about this, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably. Sounds yeah, I think familiar. so in the column. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but I, this is about the time in Lent where I'm like, oh, really? Right. That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> like a lot of us are probably like, oh. It feels long. So long. Right? It's so long. Well, I mean, we only have four Sundays total of Advent, and sometimes that's really like three and a half weeks because, you know, the right. way the calendar falls. Well, and I feel like when Ash Wednesday happened, it was like, oh my gosh, it's already Ash Wednesday. Right. And now it's like, oh, but it's still not Easter. Exactly. <laughs> and we still have, I mean, I get one more than halfway there, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. I feel like once you hit Palm Sunday, at least from our perspective, like it's all oh yeah there. oh man no Except it's uphill it's pa- yeah that's a packed week right yeah, yeah for sure. so it goes quick for sure okay so you started your sermon talking about your teacher yeah mr reichenbach yeah tell me a little bit more about him <laughs> so uh i don't know i honestly don't know how i thought why i thought of him oh nothing difficult ever easy not the squirrel quote <laughs> even a blind squirrel gets a nut every <laughs> once in a while <laughs> now you've heard that before right it's offensive, I think. Why is it offensive? Well, it's saying even if you're dumb, you're going to get something. Every right. Once he in was. A de- while. That's definitely the way he intended it. <laughs> yeah. Is but that yeah. not offensive? <laughs> but you know, he was kidding. Totally. <laughs> there's just a lot. There's a lot happening. He's there's, dead, there's so we can't ask him. But, but you guys have heard that quote before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I yeah. have never heard that quote. Before. Have you not? No. Okay. No. Well, you're welcome. You can put it in your repertoire now. I will. Lots or of, don't. Lots of people <laughs> say that I have weird countryisms. Well, that sounds like a good one. I got put on blast this last weekend for saying that makes a million miles of sense. A million miles of sense. Huh. That's have not something no? I've ever heard. Okay, then my <laughs> point taken. Go with the other one, friends. Even the blind squirrel gets another once in a while. So, Mr. Reichenbach. So, we lived in Poolsville, Maryland, which is a suburb of uh, D.C. A lot of pools. None. Oh, not very many. It's disappointing. It's with an E. Somebody's name, like Mr. Pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he drove in from West Virginia every day. <laughs> he had an 82-mile round trip. I know this because it was in the yearbook. So that the photo that I showed was the yearbook photo, and it was like a little blurb about him underneath. So he he was old school. He was uh, a Marine. I, one of the other teachers said that he would, like, wake up with – like, he would wake up thinking he was still in the war. And his, like, there was always – this is legend around Mr. Reichenbach. But he was also really effective. Like he loved his his uh, subject, and he, you know, he obviously kept tight control on the classroom and all that kind of stuff. So, but he, <laughs> he, I did, I took this part out. But he, his, uh, it was his German grandmother 
who used to say, you know, the real, and I don't want to offend anybody of German descent. <laughs> right. Right. But, you know, the stereotype of a German is that they're very, uh, you know, not the warmest and fuzziest of folk. I mean, that's the stereotype. Yeah, yeah, but stern. I, and this is why I didn't want to get into it in the sermon. But, but we will hear. But he, he went ahead, yeah, he, uh, he built that up quite a bit. My dear, my dear departed German grandmother used to, when I used to have to feel better, she'd say, ah, nothing difficult, it's ever easy. And I, I, Whitney and I probably say that to the boys, I don't know, a couple times a month. <laughs> like when they're facing some kind of challenge, you know what I mean? So maybe not that frequently, but we've said it to them a lot. That that's what I think of that when I think of the sermon on the plane. Yeah. Because, like, frankly, I also think about that when I'm interviewing people who want to be pastors. Like, it's hard. Yeah. This is hard, and so it's good to accept the fact that it's hard and decide uh, that you want to still do it. Right, and yeah. to know how you deal with difficulties. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's healthy. So uh, my teacher yeah. story uh, was that I was not the most well-behaved in middle school. I was intelligent, huh. but often I talked with my friends in class. Really? Are you an extrovert? Nope. But I <laughs> wanted to be cool and popular, uh, Okay, especially in middle school. Yep, Waxachi, uh, junior high. And this teacher's name was Mrs. Maxwell, and I decided to chat in class, and she was teaching about clouds in the sky. And I was like, I don't understand this. She's just talking like, how are we supposed to know what clouds look like? They all look the same, blah, blah, blah. Like, very disrespectful. Mm. She stopped the class and sent me out in the hallway, which is different than what your teacher did. (laughs) (laughs) The complete opposite. (laughs) You were sent out the hall because you did it right. I was sent out the hall because I did it wrong. Uh, Anyways, and so she came and got me, and I thought she was marching me straight to the principal's office. She didn't. She took me outside and showed me clouds in the sky. And so I talked about being a good teacher isn't huh. just saying all these words. It's like showing you yeah, what good. it's like. Yeah. So that's the kind of jump I made. Huh. But similar, just uh, different different middle school versions of you and I. So funny story. So both my kids are great students, but Max had, had not done well on a, on a test. And we were <laughs> all of us were in the car. We were kind of processing it. And I told him that story about that I told him the sermon. And he, he said, Dad? Uh, how's that supposed to make me feel better? <laughs> um, are you just bragging about yourself? <laughs> and I said, uh, you know what? That's fair, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's not a very, that's not a very helpful story. <laughs> I couldn't believe it when you went the way you did with your sermon. I was like, wow, I'm going a whole different direction. <laughs> but what was fun is after, after all three services, people came through the um, line telling me. About teachers. About teachers. Yeah. yeah. Things stick out. Yeah, yeah. And one guy told me a story that his principal, who was, you know, kind of like a yeah, past yeah, yeah. master kind of, at the end of announcements every day, would, this is in high school, senior high, would say, remember kids, it's later than you think. And he, and his point was, like, don't procrastinate, <laughs> don't wait on, don't wait on whatever that assignment is. That's terrifying. <laughs> uh, don't, uh, like, if you're a senior, you know, college is next year or whatever your next thing's going to be. So don't, you know, don't be a cut up. And this is in the. You know, early 70s. So right. uh, we did things differently back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Let's get, jump into the scripture. It feels yeah. like it's maybe time for that. Can you set the scene a little for our scripture reading? Like what's the context of what's happening here? So it's the sixth chapter and, and Jesus has been in ministry. He's still in Galilee at this point um, in his home in his home region. And uh, the, way, the way Luke tells the story, at the end of the ninth chapter, he gets on the road to Jerusalem and then there's literally 10 chapters of travel narrative going to travel, jerusalem yeah. right so this is before that 
So he's he's well known. He's been doing some some ministry. Obviously, we talked about his healing ministry last week. Right. And there are a couple things that the point that I made in the sermon was that Luke and Matthew are sharing share a, a common source, almost certainly. It's never it's lost to history. Um, but these there are parts of Luke and Matthew that are so close that it would be unusual if they didn't have the same source. And so in Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount. So he's on the mountain and he's kind of, you know, teaching to the crowd below or whatever. Here, Jesus walks down among the people and then apparently sits down because he looks up at his disciples. And the disciples are not the 12. The disciples are like the crowd. It's very much consistent with the way Luke portrays Jesus. Because in his his first sermon in the synagogue, we would call it a sermon. I'm sure he didn't refer to it as a sermon. But he read from the prophet Isaiah and talked about, you know, ministry with the poor, the outcast. Yeah, yeah. So that's Luke's like whole thing. That's his whole thing. And so he sits down and uh, gives him 30 verses of drinking through a fire hose. Right. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That was a beautiful setting of the scene. <laughs> Thank you. Is that is that how you imagined it being set? Did I miss something? Uh, no, no, no. That's perfect. I love it. I think it is the thing you said about disciples is interesting because mm-hmm. I think in our heads we've always learned the 12 disciples. But really, in Luke's version at least, Jesus calls these 12 apostles right. from the disciples. Right, right, right. Uh, and I feel like that's something that would have been cool to dive deep in, but we just – I mean, there's only so much time in a sermon. Right. And especially with a long reading, you know. Yeah, yeah. Did you go back and read Matthew's Sermon on the Mount? Uh, Well, no, not really. I know. I didn't really either. Uh, And that would have been another way to kind of approach this, I assume, is to kind of compare and contrast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm pretty familiar with the key features of the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Not not always the order and all that, but um, I just think it's interesting how differently they portray that material. And uh, scholars... I think most scholars would say that Luke's is closer to the original. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So what do you think gives Luke the more confrontational tone than Matthew? It's not all about that it's more concise. No, no, no. It's the pronouns too. (laughs) So, you know, Matthew's speaking in in Jesus. I mean, in Matthew, Jesus, like in the Beatitudes, is speaking in the third person. So it's this kind of hypothetical. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And in in this, he's talking to you specifically. Sometimes you plural, sometimes you singular. Right. <laughs> and then the pacing so fast, you know. So it's not like he says, uh, "Love your enemies," and then, "Well, let me explain to you what that means." Right. He's like, "No, no, no, just love your enemies." You, it's pretty easy. I mean, right. it's pretty not easy. It's pretty simple. <laughs> it's pretty simple concept. Right. Not easy. Yeah. And I am like, Jesus, tell me more. <laughs> like, I'd love to know more yeah. about what you mean. How many of them? Like, all of my enemies? Right. Like, name them? Or do we have the same enemies in mind? <laughs> I'm yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> love it. That is one of the questions I have just when I'm kind of envisioning this scene. I love that Jesus gets off the mountain in this version and comes and levels mm-hmm. with the people. I think that's really powerful. But I also just put myself in the shoes of if I were there, like, do you think people like sit and they're like, Oh, Jesus just said this. Let's talk about it. Or do you think they just like ponder it in their hearts? Like I'm so interested. So this probably gets to our difference in teaching style. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you like to turn to your neighbor and discuss. Yeah. Right. I wish we could. Yes. Both as a student and as a teacher, I don't like that. Yeah. Like as a student, I hate that. If I'm in a class, if I'm in a, if I'm coming to learn something that you're teaching, Uh do not tell me to sit. 
turn to Ashley and share my thoughts. Oh my gosh. That's a, yeah. I hate that. Well, so, but yeah. that's, that's, I mean, that's just kind of, it's your learning that's style. Mr. Reichenbach in me, yeah. <laughs> but you, I mean, you and Reichen both like your teaching styles is very different. Yeah. It's, it's more, uh, I would prefer people talk to me though than each other. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. here, don't just listen to me talk at you. Ask me your questions. Mm-hmm. Let me talk back and forth. Cause I don't love when people direct me to talk to my neighbor, especially if I don't know my neighbor. <laughs> I don't want to talk to them. <laughs> this is the introvert in me. Do you know me? Yeah. You want it. You yeah. just want to soak it up. And when we're at like clergy events. Yeah. And some presenter. We, like we just had clergy covenant day. Yeah. And did. how many times do we have to talk, turn to our neighbor and talk about whatever? It's the worst. It's and the worst. It's the worst because you're with <laughs> preachers who are like good at noticing uh, who isn't talking. So I didn't talk like the whole time. Yeah, and yeah. then at the end they're like, well, you haven't said anything. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I haven't. But then, but then half of us won't shut up. Yes. That is the problem. Right? So, what percentage of preachers do you think are introverted and extroverted? I don't. I think it's pretty split. I think it but is. But I too. think a lot of us are on the border. Like I could go either yeah, way, yeah. depending on the day. Yeah. Okay, talk to me about your personal struggles with sermon on the plane. Not like from a preaching perspective, like from a how do we live this out? I don't think it's any of our natural defaults, honestly, to see the world as God sees the world. I just don't think that's the way we naturally show up. And I think for I think for some of us, like depending on, there are a lot of things that inf- that uh, influence the way you see the world. Politics, ideology, theology, whether it's conservative or, or progressive. But it doesn't matter where you fall on those. There are people who, for whom you have a hard time, with whom you have a hard time being gracious, or for whom you have a hard time being merciful. And his point here is, Paul makes a similar point in Romans where he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody's in the same boat. None of us get this right. So how about if we're gracious with one another and stop insisting that everybody do things the way we we want them to do them or think the way we want them to think. And I think that's just a very hard thing to do. And I think in this moment in our life, both kind of cultural lives within the church, we're having the same kind of problem where people are having a hard time agreeing to disagree about you know, human sexuality, that's kind of the big one right now, then I, I just, it's, he's asking us for something that's counter to the way we naturally show up because of the fall, because of sin, the problem of sin. Right. It's not a new thing for us now. No, no, no. No, in the Old Testament, very bloody. <laughs> I mean, we, you know what I mean? Like, those, <laughs> dis- those disagreements got real. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, I think, to me, all of it kind of comes down to that. Now, there's the stuff about... Blessed are you who are poor and woe to you who are rich. I mean, you know, I wrestle with that a little bit because I'm not, I mean, I'm, I would be in the woe category there by global standards. Absolutely. Most of us would. Yeah. So like, but that, I was talking about this in Bible study last night. To me, I can understand Luke's context and who he was trying to speak to and who he was trying to encourage. And I can understand contextually why he said that or why he expressed it that way, as opposed to why Matthew said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, and I can do some interpretation there. The other stuff, though, is pretty straightforward. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That is not the way that I show up naturally. Also, the whole abuse thing can be twisted, right? But that's probably a whole separate conversation. Right. The golden rule, I mean, do unto others as you would, you know, we look out for ourselves right. naturally. Right. The thing about the log and the speck, it's silly because a log in your eye. Like, I'm sorry, Jesus. I mean, should, should call Jesus silly, but that, like, that sounds absurd to us. I'm telling him. <laughs> but it, the point is fantastic. 
you're worried about everybody else's shortcomings and you're, you're not self-reflective. Like you worry about making your, like you worry about, you work on you, mm-hmm. let them work on them. Right. And you're not going to have time to get to their spec. Well, you know. sure. Now, you know, there are other places where about calling out people that are in sin, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's not as, it's not, yeah. it's not straightforward, but it's more about the ethos. Like, what is your, what is your default? Like, what do you, how do you naturally show up in the world? I think that's the biggest challenge. And and the point that I made at the end of the sermon, uh, I mean, at the, in the benediction, because I didn't really have time to get into it in the sermon, you know, it's like, it's two separate things. It's the teaching. I don't know. There's a lot going on here. But my point is, I can't love my enemies. I do not. I, I am incapable of loving my enemies. I am frankly incapable of not judging. Like I just, <laughs> and I think a lot of people, I mean, some of that's personality, but some of it is what, that's how we, it's what we do. Like the survival instinct is to judge what's a health, what's a safe thing, what's a not safe circumstance. And, and when it comes to other people, like, I don't know, this is really, it's very complicated, but what we believe, and there's a great line in here that, that I talked about in the sermon, everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. Will be like the teacher. Like, that's a promise. And our qualification is our faith in Christ. And then we, we the Holy Spirit works within us then from that moment on. So concept of sanctification in the Wesleyan tradition. So nothing is impossible with God, but he's telling me to do something I'm incapable of doing myself. And maybe that's part of the point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. We talked about a little, a little bit about that in modern, just about as a community too, to hold each other accountable. That doesn't mean judging and doing those things, but to still hold people accountable looks different. You touched a little bit about parables. Talk to me about Jesus and parables. I don't know that we've it's, talked about that. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. It's funny that you brought that up because in, uh, and again, in Bible study yesterday Yeah. and I'm, I'm teaching, I'm doing Luke. I'm not a big parable guy. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I I've like gotten it. that vibe because we haven't preached a lot of parables. <laughs> I have never done a series on parables. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, a few of them are obvious, like the parable of the sower. You know, with your seeds on the good grass or with the weeds or on the good stewardship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a good stewardship. Song. It is. But I, a lot of other parables. Number one, they tend to be agrarian, and it's a very different context than. Than we have right now. You have to explain a lot to get there. You do have to mm-hmm. explain a lot. You have to consult commentaries in some cases because it's not necessarily obvious in the 21st century what would have been obvious in the first century. Yeah, absolutely. And then he throws some curveballs at us. <laughs> and you're like, what does this mean? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? So I don't know. Uh, you, parables, you love them, you don't love them? No, I, they're too difficult. I need people to speak plainly to me. Right, right. Um, I'm like intuitive, so I can read between lines to an extent, but not being in this setting, sometimes the parables come off and I'm like, what is he talking about? What I do appreciate is Jesus gives this way for people who do need uh-huh. that example to learn. You right, know, it's right. not just these concepts in the air. Here, let me show you what that looks like. So I appreciate parables for that reason, but I find it hard to just interpret them because they come from a very specific place. Yeah. Jesus uses them for a very specific reason. Yeah. Um, and I think often we get confused and use them a little too literally sometimes. Yeah. I mean, right. So that is the challenge of preaching because you're in 15 or 20 minutes, you're trying to make a point, like a focus statement point. <laughs> Some of us, <laughs> all of us should be speaking <laughs> to a focus statement. Um, but then, uh, 
with a parable, uh, sometimes they're open-ended. Sometimes yeah. you know, like the, the whole point that Jesus is making there is not to like, to not hit you over the head with a, a focus statement. Like it's, you know, right. read into it and see where are you in this? Where do you think God is in this? So I tend to be a little more black and white. Yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, like the stories that really resonate. So the, the prodigal, the good Samaritan, right. I mean, those are the, where the lesson seems to be obvious is that's where I'm in my comfort zone. So Jesus in this one ends with the builder parable. Yeah. I always grew up learning about sand. Is that in a different version? So do you want to know? I actually, so I know this because I'm doing the Luke Bible study. We didn't talk about this before now. Yeah. So in Matthew, Uh it's on sand. Okay. Because Matthew is a Palestinian author and that's how you built in Palestine. Luke is probably not a Palestinian author. This is like rock, right? Yeah, well, right? he says foundation, foundation, and then the other one yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. have a foundation, yeah. which seems very clear to me. Uh-huh. Whereas uh-huh. sand was always, as a child, I was like, oh, I guess sand isn't sturdy. Is this beach going to collapse and I'm right. going to fall? Right. So it's the, it's that re- that reflects the different context of the authors. And this is a perfect example of how, like some people get real uncomfortable when you say Luke says, Matthew says, because like, it's supposed to be about Jesus. Right. But they're taking the same the same story, the same source material. And writing it in such a way that their own audiences would recognize. Right. So Luke is writing to a Gentile audience almost certainly and almost certainly not in Palestine. Right. And I think that's what Jesus would say Jesus was doing at this time too. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus was using parables for people where they are at. Right. So does it, those little details don't matter so much. Which is another reason maybe parables don't resonate as much with us. Yeah. Because they weren't written for us. Yeah. That's so interesting. <laughs> I did not know we were going to get into that. That's good stuff. How fun. I mean, it's a, it's a great, it's a, like, it's, it does make some people uncomfortable to talk about this in kind of a literary analysis way. Yeah. Especially somebody who grew up in a, the Bible said it, that settles it. I Absolutely. believe it kind of narrative where it's like a literal thing. I know. And that's so <laughs> tough though, because when you have these two passages that are clearly the same story, but different. You know, that's what I think can really disrupt some people's faith because they don't have a way to wrestle with that. Well, so let's take it to the next level. Yeah. Mark doesn't have anything about a virgin birth. (laughs) And that's the earliest one written. So what do we do with that? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean. Is the virgin birth essential to your, we're getting back into these difficult passages of Jesus. What is important? Yeah. I mean, it's all important. And I would say, and the way I talk to, I, again, if anybody's from Bible study listening to this, it's going to sound familiar, but it, like when you're in seminary and you're deconstructing your theology and you're deconstructing your, what you thought you understood about the Bible, that can be intimidating. It can be faith shaking, mm-hmm. uh, or you can just go with it and trust that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writings of these texts are, is going to be with you in your interpretation and the way you're going to put your theology back together. Yeah. And if you're, un, uh, if you're uneasy about that, Jesus promises that in John's gospel <laughs> that the, you're, you're better off without me because the Holy Spirit's going to be with you from now on. Right. So I just think that's, um, it's, it's funny you should bring that foundation up because, uh, as I was reading it yesterday, the first time, like I, I, obviously read it several times. You read it for the first time yesterday. <clears throat> but no, the first time I read it out loud, I was singing, I was singing in my song, yeah. right, in my head, the song, uh-huh. rain came down, and the flood came up, right? 
But that, that song is different than Luke's version. That yeah. song is the Matthew version uh-huh. because everyone loves the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. And I just assumed when I was researching stuff, I was like, it must be from Matthews. I didn't go like compare them, but I was like, I know sand didn't come from nowhere. Like that is a thing that I learned as a child. Well, yeah. So what's the thing that's most challenging to you in the Sermon on the Plain? Mm, that's a good question. I think I, it's the judging for me. That is something that I don't, well, maybe you can correct me. I try not to do that out loud. A lot of it is internal. <laughs> Stop. Say it with your eyes. See <laughs> yeah. your staff. You're like, mm. yeah. Uh, I just a lot of it is internalized. Like right. I know what is appropriate. I can put on a good show, but then I have to really be honest with myself sometimes that I'm thinking deep down different things than how I'm portraying. Right. Um, and that's hard. It's not comfortable. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, and so when I read this over and over again, I'm like, I know, I know. I love if you love people, that judging stuff just kind of washes away. But I'm not great at it. <laughs> it, do, it does not come naturally. Yeah. And I can tell you when I'm – like last night I coached a basketball game, one of Sam's basketball games. I got lots of opinions about the way the other coaches talk to their kids. Yeah. Lots of opinions. I, those aren't opinions. They're judgments. Yeah. On the road, Guilty. I got lots of opinions about the way everyone around me is driving. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> in my neighborhood, if your kids are playing across the street in the park at 11 o'clock at night, I got lots of judgments mm-hmm. about what their parents should be doing with them, like taking them home. He's not obviously talking about something as banal as that, but, but it's, it's kind of the, do we tend, do we default to that? And if so, then we got work to do or God has work to do on us in us. Right. And I really have never had issues with like judging people like who's in, who's out as far as like the God thing. Like that's not it for me. It's more that surface level, but I think that that can sink into deeper ways in the world. So that's really what I struggle with. You shared with us in your sermon about being a supply officer in the Navy yeah. and having to drink from a fire hose. Yeah. Tell us more about it. <laughs> so we, on the way to lunch after mm-hmm. church, Max is like, how did I never know you went to fire school? Like, how, how's this never – how do I not know that you had to take your gas mask off in a chamber full of tear gas? Yeah, I'm with your mom. That's terrifying. <laughs> never would I ever – I would have left right then. <laughs> after the sermon. I mean, after the 8.45, I talked about this in the sermon, but my, my mother did text me. She's like, oh, I'm so glad you talked about Mr. Reichenbaugh. And I'm so glad you didn't tell me you had to go to fire school when you were a kid. Uh, so I checked this out with a firefighter who's a member of our church. I, I thought this was the right number, but it was I – I didn't want to sound like I was exaggerating. But those fires are 1,000 degrees. So you're wearing gear, and you're descending down into this steel room, and the fire is literally 1,000 degrees. It's, it's legit. I mean, it's it's – it's very real. And you have a very short amount of time to learn all this because you've got to get to your, assi- your assignment. You know, you got to get your, your order to the ship. So but you have to pass it, right? You have to pass it. Yeah. I don't know why. Oh, I was, it was, I was just doing the, uh, we were talking about teaching. So I was trying to, um, come up with examples of teaching in my own life that were, yeah. that were resonant with what I was learning. And, and that was kind of at the end of the sermon. And the pivot that I made was it's not, in one sense, the Sermon on the Plain is not a matter of life and death. On the other hand, it is pretty core to who we think, who we're trying to be. And it's the, it's the pace. He gives it to us all in 30 verses. Yeah. No, I found that all very interesting. Because I think of moments where stuff has been thrown at me. And you have to, like, go through it really quickly. And you can learn or you cannot learn. Right. And when you learn it that way, I do think it's effective. I, I mean, hate it. You hate learning quickly? 
Yes. I need to like soak and think it. So I did a CPE unit, clinical pastoral education thing at a hospital Mm. and they practice baptism by fire, which sounds very similar. Uh, And they're like, you just go knock on a door and have an experience in a hospital room and we'll talk about it after. And I like to prepare. I want to get all my ducks in a row. I want a script. Yeah. And so even something like fire school, I would be like, "Uh -uh." if I don't have everything I need to know right then. You know, if it's the kind of learning as you go thing, that's hard for me. Yeah. I mean, so much of life is actually like that. Absolutely. And, uh, and I am min- ill-equipped for life. <laughs> <laughs> in ministry too, I was in Henrietta. When you're the pastor of a Methodist church in a town like Henrietta, you're you're one of a handful of spiritual leaders in the community. I mean, right. even if people don't go to your church. So on a Friday night, I got a call from the sheriff's department and, and – uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe I had coffee with this guy at Dairy Queen or something. I mean, it was, I, I don't remember exactly why he called me. But he said, hey, I need you to go on a ride along with me. Um, I'll tell you about it on the way. And you said, no, thank you. I'm going to bed. <laughs> no, no, I said, okay, okay sure. If you need me. Because maybe his pastor wasn't around. or right. I can't, yeah, chaplain, yeah. The chaplain wasn't there or whatever. We were going to a house of a guy who, like out in the country, kind of a meth thing. Mm-hmm. And he he was, like, on parole, and his father had died by suicide. Mm-hmm. And the sheriff had to break the news to him. Maybe he, like, died by suicide, like, on the road. You know what I mean? Like, he went out in the country and yeah, shot yeah, himself. Yeah. And so it was the job of the sheriff to notify him. But he's a very volatile guy. And so he said, I need you there to be able to pray with him if he wants that. But you have to wait in the car with the car running. Until I get in the house. Yeah. Because he wasn't sure how the guy was going to, like, could have gotten shot. Mm-hmm. Like, so I had the the duration of that car ride to figure out how I was going to pray with this criminal. Yeah. Over the tragic death of his father. And, you know, this gets back to the, what I said in the benediction. None of that is possible. None of that's possible except by the power of the Holy Spirit. None of it. Yeah. But we have to make ourselves available right. to the Spirit. We have to put ourselves in a in a place for transformation and challenge. I mean, the good news, part of the gospel, is that God's with us in all of it. And how beautiful that that sheriff thought to include a clergy person with him on that journey. Like, that just shows how, like, pastors are not, like, we don't have a, we are not the most holy. Like, you know, everybody has a way of being ministers out in the world. Uh And what a powerful thing. It was unique, for sure. And, you know, and that's ministering the country is a little different than ministering the city. Well, I just think of calls we get in the middle of the night when people die and you have to talk to people right then. You don't get to prepare. Right. Right. You don't get to check it out with your clergy coach and all that. Right. (laughs) So what Jesus is teaching to them in that moment, it is quick. He'll say elsewhere, if you get dragged in front of the authorities, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will go with you. Hmm. And uh, somebody after the service, one of the services because I changed the benediction kind of evolves throughout the morning. Like Cause I not... love the benediction at nine forty five. So <laughs> it might've been that service um, where somebody said that the most important thing they heard me say was in the benediction. Hmm. The whole thing about not, did I say not being able to do it ourselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Is there anything else you wish you would have talked about or had more space to, you know, I mean, to do this text full justice, you have to, you just have to be in a Bible study. I, I do think this is one of those texts that would be uh, helped by the question, the, the interaction, the back and forth, because he, like, no matter how succinctly, like there's so many things to say 
and there are so many avenues to explore that no matter what you end up saying, first of all, it's probably going to raise more questions. But second of all, even clarifying questions about what you're saying would be helpful. I think this has been a good series. And I think, I mean, I'm not sure that I've ever done a sermon series this way where it's kind of an overview of the life of Jesus, hmm. you know? Yeah. I, have you? No, but I love it. It's, it's fun. I mean, like you, you don't have to try to pack a million things into one sermon. So uh, like in the healing stories, we didn't have to talk about miracles because that's a whole kind of separate thing. We're talking about that in a couple weeks. This, this week. week. <laughs> yeah, this coming week. I think. <laughs> I like doing this. I like doing the life of Jesus using Luke because we know that Luke and Matthew have so much in common and Matthew is so much longer. Yeah. Um, I would also be interested in doing it in Mark just because it's kind of right. different too. Um, and Mark is just short. So it's mm-hmm. you can get a lot more content. And I hate when we skip passages because I'm like, I feel like I need y'all to know what happened between this story <laughs> right. and this story. Right. So I've been doing little recaps just to like keep people like we're really going through the whole story. But when we, once we get to Holy Week, things are going to be left out because there's so much. Yeah. We jump around. I think we skip like five to six chapters to jump to Palm Sunday. Oh, yeah. Um, you have to. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So. But some of those we come back to. We're going to come back to in, in uh, September. Oh, look at that little teaser. Yeah. Stick around through Luke's September. Luke's greatest hits. And then we uh, we do another one and another one or two during. Is it November? St- uh, no, during stewardship. stewardship. Yeah. October. So we're covering quite a bit of Luke yeah, this year. We're getting into Luke. All right. Uh, last question. Last night were the Oscars. You've seen Coda. I have seen Coda. Would you recommend it? Highly recommend. Everyone should watch Apple TV Plus, I believe, is where you can find it. And does that mean, like, if you have, so should they wait until season three of Ted Lasso comes out and watch both together? Or like, both, like this Yeah, if you must, you can, but Ted Lasso is like a whole nother year. Is it another right? year till it comes out? You guys don't look Are you sure? like that. Oh, that. They're filming it now. That's really Man, sad. Don't bring us down. Um, Ted Lasso season three. Usually Summer of 2022. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 You can wait. You, so can, you can wait. wait. I just don't want you to wait too long. Okay. Yeah. 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 It was really touching the supporting actor acceptance speech. All right, you guys. Well, we appreciate you spending another 45 minutes or so with us talking about awesome scriptures from Luke this coming week. As uh, Stephanie mentioned, I think it's Luke 8. We're talking about Jesus' uh, he, uh, miracles, his miracle ministry. Which are different than healings. Different than healings. And then we're the week after that will be Palm Sunday, mm-hmm. and then the week after that, Easter baby. Super cool! Don't forget to bring your jars on Palm Sunday. Yes, with all your coins. Exactly, forever international. Mm-hmm. Yep. If and you've you forgotten, sh- go through the couch cushions now. Go to what? Go through the couch cushions now. Yes, yes, yes. Everybody <laughs> should have plenty of change. Yeah, yeah. And then you can still order Easter flowers. Yes. cmc.com slash Easter flowers. Easter flowers. Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right, y'all. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back next week with another episode of Offscript. God bless. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Offscript. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd, produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.